Jesus said, I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress am I under until it has been completed? Do you think that I came to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And he also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, it is going to rain, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites. You are able to interpret the appearance of earth and sky. Why are you not able to interpret the present time? The gospel of the Lord. Last week, if you were here, we had a little laugh with that clip from Will and Grace with Jack McFarland refusing to see the real live Cher as anything more than a drag queen wannabe impersonator until she sings for him and slaps him across the face and tells him to snap out of it. Then he finally gets it. Then he sees the light, and then he recognizes her for who she really is. Today, Jesus' words feel kind of like a slap across the face and an invitation to snap out of it and pay attention to who he really is and to live differently because of that. You hypocrites, he says. You interpret the signs of the earth and the sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? You say it's going to rain, and it does. You say it's going to be hot, and it is. He could say the same to us. You know so many things. You've learned and you understand so much. You can predict the weather days, if not weeks, in advance. You have technology in your homes to manage the scorching heat and the bitter cold when it comes. I learned this this week. You have a telescope that just spotted two galaxies 60 million light years away, and your scientists have predicted that the gravity of those galaxies is pulling them together so that they will become one galaxy in approximately 500 million years. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And our present time is marked by the kind of division Jesus seems to speak of and warn about, isn't it? How often these days do we talk about the notion and the reality of the political division in our country right now? We are divided by party and presidential preference. 
We are divided on issues and ideas about guns and abortion, immigration and civil rights, climate and the economy. We are divided about what we believe the facts and the truth of the matters at hand even are. And it seems like our disagreements have devolved into a next-level sort of division that might have even surprised Jesus. It's so bad that extremists storm our capital, radicals attack FBI buildings, and hashtag civil war trended on Twitter this week. And that's just our little corner of the world. And it's not just politics, of course. So much of that plays itself out in the church in God's world, too. Our friends in the United Methodist Church are divided and divvying things up as we speak over issues of human sexuality, much like we ELCA Lutherans did a dozen or so years ago. I'm not throwing stones. Fundamentalists, so-called evangelical Christians, draw lines in the sand about who's in and who's out or who's welcome and who's not. Christian nationalists wrap all of that up in the same bag or with the same flag, as it were, their politics, I mean, and their myopic, self-interested understanding of who Jesus was. It's frustrating and it's sad and it's scary to me. And it's why Jesus' words today feel like a slap in the face and an invitation to snap out of it. This division that threatens to consume us. And while Jesus doesn't spell out the answer for the intricacies of our particular struggles with everything that divides us these days, while he seems to indicate that that might even be part of God's plan. He points to something bigger that means to cover the multitude of our sins in that regard. His own baptism and ours, if we will let it. But when Jesus says this morning that he has yet to be baptized with the baptism for which he came, it matters that we know he's already been to the river, right? And the people listening to Jesus would have known that too. He was baptized by John in the Jordan way back in chapter 3 of Luke's gospel. With the water and the dove and with God's declaration that he was the beloved son and all the rest. So it's worth noticing here, nine chapters and however many days and weeks later, that when Jesus talks about the baptism for which he's come and the baptism for which he's being made ready... And when he tells of the stress he's under until that baptism is complete, he's talking about the baptism of his death on the cross. He's talking about the crucifixion he knows is on the way. He's talking about whips and thorns and blood and tears. He's talking about abandonment and loneliness, betrayal, and the dying that follows all of that. He's pointing to the one event in all of human history that is meant to supersede, to cover, to mend, and to undo all that divides us and that pretends to separate us 
from each other and that some pretend will separate us from the love of God, too. That one event is the fulfillment of his baptismal call and promise as the Son of God. It is his death on the cross and his resurrection to new life in spite of it. And he's pointing to the notion that the good news of this for those who follow him is that our lives are to be influenced by the fullness of this kind of grace and mercy so that we are moved toward a different kind of life in this world that, like that death and resurrection, is meant to transcend all of the divisions that otherwise threaten us and keep us apart on this side of heaven. And I happen to believe that our unique understanding and expression of grace as ELCA-flavored Lutherans, when we get it right anyway, sets us up to live differently in this divided world. I once heard someone describe our flavor of the church as a both-and church in an either-or world. A both-and church in an either-or world. And I like that. Because in all the ways that make some others want to distance themselves from us, all the divisive things that we do when it comes to extending grace with no strings attached, like opening the communion table to anyone and everyone, like ordaining women, like loving and affirming LGBTQ children of God because of who they are, not in spite of who they are, like seeking social justice as the work of Jesus, not as some sort of political four-letter word. When we do those things, we're really just God's church relentlessly, vulnerably, humbly sharing grace in ways that make room for everyone to come together under the banner of God's love and forgiveness under the promise of Christ's death and resurrection for the sake of the whole wide world as God intends. And my faith tells me that none of the divisions that separate us now will last forever because the Jesus we proclaim is a both-and savior for an either-or world too. And if we can believe that, if we can own that, if we can live like that's true, it may separate us from others who don't want to play along. But we're promised that none of these divisions have to last forever. And in the meantime, we can trust and we can hope and maybe we can see for ourselves that God can do amazing things through what otherwise looks like division in this world. I decided that maybe the division Jesus is talking about, even though he throws out the fire that's coming, doesn't have to be as scary as it sounds if we think about some of the other ways division shows up in Scripture. In the Old Testament, rocks are split open. 
But from that division, life-saving water comes to those wandering around thirsty in the wilderness. The Red Sea's separated, divided so that the Israelites could escape to freedom on dry ground. The earth shook and was divided once so that saints could be raised from the dead. And at his baptism, the first one, in that river, the very heavens were torn apart so that the Spirit of God could descend upon Jesus and declare him to be God's Son and all the rest. These images of division and separation show us something new, I think, something honest, something different, something holy about all of it. Division can quench a thirst with God's help. Separation can lead to freedom when God is involved. Tearing apart can make room for the Spirit of God, and brokenness can lead somehow to healing and new life. In other words, the very things that divide us too much of the time, and sometimes for really good reason, are precisely the reasons why I think God calls us to hang together in spite of ourselves. I think the moments when we gather for communion here or touch the shared waters of our baptism here or even pour coffee or pass a donut or serve others together in spite of our differences, in those moments, God is doing for us something we might otherwise refuse or avoid or be unable to do for ourselves. So let's not be so afraid. Let's not deny, let's not avoid each other or those things that divide us. And let's not let them be so divisive that they stand in the way of God's good news or of this gospel either. Let's keep doing what we do in spite of our differences, in spite of our divisions, so that in the space between us, even when we can't, God might create some room for peace and for reconciliation and for forgiveness. And we might make room then for the kind of grace we all need and that comes by way of the life and death and resurrection that's promised to all of us and for the sake of the world. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.